Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. What we've been calling what we believe, and it's, 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 it's sort of, I felt so convicted that we need to remind ourselves as our church grows, as people come in, you might be wondering, what, what do they believe? What does this church believe theologically? Um, what, what's the, the orthodox here? Um, are, are they just a bunch of young people that don't really know the Bible? Do they even preach Jesus, right? You might be thinking all of those things, or maybe that's just my thought on it. But I want to express to you that what we believe comes only from the Scripture. And if we're not doing what the Scripture says, then woe is us. And honestly, woe, woe to me. Because I'm going to actually be judged double on that. But what I want to talk with you about this morning is as we've been going through the different phases of what we believe, um, in the last weeks we talked about what we believe is, is kind of three fours. The first four we talked about is four radical discipleship, meaning there's, there's a shift that has to take place in how we live our lives. If we consider ourselves disciples of Jesus and the world we live in, there needs to be a shift. How we live our lives, how we schedule our lives, the way we talk to one another, a shift, radical. And then Kelly brought it, with radical discipleship within community, that we need to be people of, of community, knowing one another, bearing each other's burdens on each other, encourage and call to more. And then what I want to talk about today is for the one, but in light of that, that we would be a people on mission. Okay, and this comes from the depths of the scripture. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, if you're not certain where that is, the New Testament on the far right starts with Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you're in John, you've gone too far. So go to the left, find Matthew, go to the chapter 28. And if you want to stand with me, we're going to read the scripture. We're going to honor God's word and read this. Starting at verse 18, and I'm going to go to verse 20. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go, verb, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that and they're drenched in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, Jesus says. And surely I will always be with you to the very end of the age. Amen. You guys may be seated. So I want to talk about a people on mission. According to this passage of scripture in Matthew 28, Jesus begins to take people with him on a journey. And first they follow and then they become disciples. Because first, sometimes we follow and it's out of interest, it's out of emotion, it's, it's out of how, what can I get from you, Jesus? Because he was healing people. He was casting out demons from people. He was bringing life and reconciliation to people around him. And so they begin to follow him. I mean, why wouldn't you want to follow somebody like that, right? But in their following, they begin to believe. 
They begin to catch what he was doing. They begin to see the kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we see as Jesus, he dies on a cross, he's resurrected, he's coming to and fro in moments, in bits and pieces to his disciples. And he says this to them, he says, now you as apprentices, you as followers, you as a disciple, because in this day and age, again, radical discipleship, there was an actual rabbi and there were actual students. So you begin to do everything your rabbi did. And by the time the rabbi felt you were ready, then he said, okay, now you go do this. I'm comfortable enough, you've walked with me enough to know that I have taught you everything that you're supposed to learn. Now it's time to put this in action. And he says, go and make disciples. So we've been called, we've been commissioned into mission. So I want to I dedicate the, the rest of our conversation to what does it look like to be on mission for God? If you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. By the way, who needs a Bible here? Just be honest. No, we have Bibles in the back. Anybody need a Bible? A free Bible. It is yours. Nobody? No one needs a Bible? All right, we're doing a good job here. I don't know if that's true, but we'll go with it. Acts 1.8. We're in church. We can't lie, right? shouldn't. Acts 1.8 says, but you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. How the church's story begins shapes how we tell the story of the church. Um, I'll prove it to you. Anything. How something begins, starts, the origin, it sort of helps us understand how it continues to move forward and how the story is told. So, for example, if we know when we, when we read uh, books to our children at night, right, um, like a fairy tale, how does it start? How do fairy tales start? Once upon a time. So we already know what that means and where it's going, right? What about this? Um, in a galaxy far, far away, right? We know that, and, and so it starts to tell us, our mind goes, because how a story begins, it helps us dictate and structure where it is going. And so the story of the church, as Kelly preached so eloquently last week, is it starts with Jesus commissioning all of us, no one is excluded, into becoming witnesses of the gospel, of the good news, of what Jesus brought here on earth. How the church begins shapes how we tell the story. So our origin is the commission of all followers and disciples of Jesus. By the way, no one is exempt from this. Not one person. You are all ministers of the gospel. We talked about that in Ephesians. So to go make disciples as you are going, Dallas Willard says this, he, he kind of frames it, go, go meaning therefore in your going. As you're going, make disciples. Baptize them in the Trinitarian reality. What I mean by that is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I don't have time to go on the theology of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but I like to explain it so that we can wrap our head around. It's like a dance, okay? 
and it's a dance of love. When you go to a wedding, if you ever invite me to your wedding, you better believe I'm going to be dancing, 100%. Last time, me and Kelly were at a wedding, it was me, Kelly, and Zoe dancing, but Zoe was in her belly. And so right there, there's a dance. And when you dance, and when you're dancing with somebody that is you love, it's like, it's awesome, it's exciting. And you get to dance and have fun, and it's amazing, right? And I've talked about this at times. Sometimes you're dancing theologically only with Jesus and the Father. And you forgot, like, the Holy Spirit's sitting on the table, like, dude, what about me? So when Jesus says, go make disciples, baptize them, not just in the Father, and not just in Jesus, but also in the Holy Spirit. We have to understand that the Spirit of God was with Jesus from the very beginning. The Spirit of God touched Mary's womb. We believe that story, if you believe the story of of our faith, that the Spirit of the living God touched Mary's womb, and she was transformed and now she had a baby in her tummy right I know like Paige she's pregnant right now she's like you can feel the baby moving around right especially in the latter times it's like you you get excited there's a birth taking place it's awesome it's amazing there's joy that comes with it Jesus is the spirit of God he's in every one of us if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus did you know that so Because of that, you get to participate in the Trinitarian theological dance of love with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus and with God. But what I mean by that is when he says go and baptize them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sometimes we've taken on a tradition that we think it is just when I baptize you literally in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we have brought that custom on, rightfully so. I don't think we should not do that. That's orthodox, right? When you walk into a a, a Catholic space, there's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a recognition there. There's a, I'm going to put this on my prefrontal cortex. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Put it on your prefrontal cortex. Maybe we ought to be people that do that because it reminds you, I am participating with the Trinitarian Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in every act of my life. But it's the act of love. So if I could just push against your theology for a moment, when Jesus says, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you ought to be baptized 100%. We should have baptisms every single day because people are coming to faith, right? It's a public declaration. It's a, I'm ready to do this. I'm sealing my relationship with God, and I'm ready to make this public, man. I'm all in on this. But as Jesus says this, he's not just saying you have to do this. He's saying drench them with what? Love. Drench people in the name of love. How are we doing with that, by the way? Are we going as followers, disciples of Jesus, drenching people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Are we showing them love, especially when politics is brought up in the conversation? Are we showing them love when vaccine or no vaccine is brought up? Sorry, I'm like bringing up old traumas for all of us. (laughs) But I want to go there in your mind. 
Are we baptizing those in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit when we have an issue of racial reconciliation? When we separate people in our mind, like where are we with baptizing those with love, drenching the people around us with love? And by the way, this should be done to the non-believers 100%. Why? Because once you drench them, like let's read this together. Come on. Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The first thing I see there is go and show them love. And in your love showing, you will create a following that turns into discipleship to Jesus. And then teach them to obey everything Jesus said to do. Here's the problem that I see in my life. I don't know if I'm yet quite there or if I'm really consciously fighting against making sure I'm obeying everything Jesus said to do. How are you with that? Are you listening and obeying everything Jesus said to do? We just have to go to Matthew and look the Sermon on the Mount up and we can preach that all day and be like, ah, yeah, I'm not doing too well on this. So, my, my encouragement to all of us is may we be the type of people that drenches those first in love and then they begin to catch this love. They begin to catch the spirit of generosity and of peace and of long-suffering and not of casting judgment. I, Brendan's been up here before and has shared his testimony on how he does that in his workplace. As a school teacher at Chino High School, there's a way that you can drench people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit without saying, hey, hey, man, you need Jesus. Do you know that there's a way to do that? And you do it with who you are. You embody the love of Jesus to every person. But we have work to do because we all need, we're all messing up on this in some way. I know I am. So then once they're baptized in love, we begin to teach to obey all of the things that Jesus has commanded us. And when we receive the power of the Spirit, you become a witness in the Chino Valley and in the Inland Empire and Southern California and then to the world. You are commissioned to be the very presence of God to those around you. Again, the massive question I and our church should ask is, how am I doing with this? And here's, here's the dilemma. We live in America, right? Northern America on the map. And what the American culture has done is it's created in us a very, very, one, because we're capitalistic, okay? I'm not trying to push against that or, or embrace it. I'm just saying we're capitalistic. We, we are a capitalistic country, aren't we? And in that, we become very consumer. So then we come to church because what the stories you believe in your life, like we talked about in the triangle, the stories you believe in your life will eventually infiltrate the way you think and the way you do. So because we're so consumeristic, you can come to church saying, what can I get from church today? Ah, it wasn't a good transaction. I didn't like how Sam was talking. He like hurt my feelings. There wasn't a good transaction, right? But that's not how we're supposed to view this with Jesus, Right? So, what if it's, hey, freely you've been given, right? Freely you've received all of the goodness of God, all of the faithfulness of God. So then freely you should what? Give. 
Imagine we change in this community alone. There's, I don't know how many people are here, like 80 plus maybe. Imagine all 80 of us said, and then including the little ones because they're not exempt. There's no junior Holy Spirit, right? Let's, let's include the little ones. Imagine all of us were on mission to go and to baptize people with love in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Imagine we were on mission to do that. Wouldn't you talk to your friends differently? Wouldn't you post on social media differently? I'm off IG. Praise the Lord for that. So I don't know what you're posting. Yeah, come on, Lorenzo. <laughs> Join me with that. Let's get off Instagram and TikTok. It'll make you feel better, I promise. It makes me feel better. So what do we mean by mission, okay? Mission of God is to bring his kingdom on earth in every sphere of your life and crevice of our society that you participate in. And I'll prove it to you in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13 says this. This is Jesus. We, we just talked about that, this in our men's crew as we prayed together. We read this together. Every one of us read this, and we read this. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says to us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already exists in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us, Jesus, not in temptation. I want you to look at this because we might go, I don't know if we're doing this yet. I was just talking to Kelly about this. This is how unorganized I am, but I, I'm not 100% sure what the next couple of weeks I'm gonna preach on. So I don't know if I'm just being spirit-led or not thinking through it well enough, but I've really been resonating with what does it mean when Jesus says, but deliver us from the evil one? By the way, there's maybe one or two times the disciples say, give me your theology, Jesus, on how to pray. How do you pray, Jesus? Wouldn't you wanna know how God prays, right? Because Jesus is God, theologically, okay? He tells us right here how to do that. That's why in other customs and other churches and traditions, this is memorized. It's one of the contemplative prayers before they leave the house. I don't dish that. I actually think we should embrace more of those things, right? Imagine you prayed this every morning before you went to work. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom, not mine, Jesus, because we like operating in our kingdom. And then when he starts to say, hey, 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 let me in your kingdom, you know what we want? We want the kingdom of Jesus without the king. Do you know what I mean by that? You want all of the goodness that he has to provide for you, all of the blessings. We want the fruit of the spirit. We want the Zoe life, the abundant life. I want that for me. But what happens in our culture is we just don't want the king who reigns over that kingdom. Oh yeah, man, I want justice and mercy. Yes, 100%. But I also need to know that I need to be abiding in the Father and living my life differently. I want to be consumed by the power of the Holy Spirit enough to change how I think, how I talk, how I live, how I choose to act in my body. I must change everything because he said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And in the same breath, I must be person, a person on mission on mission in the world and society around us. 
bringing justice, bringing mercy to those around us. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Imagine with me for a moment. Jesus' kingdom of heaven came on earth, like everywhere. Because theologically, his kingdom is here, but it's not quite fully here. We're in it, but not fully in it. Because Jesus isn't reigning on a throne in this world right now. He's in heaven, seated by the Father. So now we have a dichotomy of whose kingdom we're really in. We've talked about this. We're also not just in the kingdom of this world, but who's the prince of this world? Satan. And that's why I'm like, maybe we should go there in the next couple of weeks, right? Because if you read Daniel, this will really mess your theology up. If you read Daniel, he's praying and fasting for 21 days, and an angel comes to him and says, man, I've been detoured by the prince of Persia, a demonic presence, So that tells me there's regions of demonic activity in our lives. So I wonder, in your life, what does that look like? And are you taking ground or position? Complete rant. I'm so sorry. I don't want to go there. So deliver us from the evil one. You have to learn how to be delivered from the evil one. That's where we obey. That's where we learn. That's where our mind is renewed in the gospel and of Jesus But I want right now, if Jesus' kingdom came, nobody would be poor. Do you know that? There would be no person on this earth that would be poor because that's not Jesus' kingdom. So we have work to do then. In our workplace, in our meetings, in our hard conversations, in our coming and in our going, how are we bringing his kingdom, not your kingdom? Mark 15, uh, 16, verse 15 says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So we are to go into the world, into all of creation, bringing the gospel. There are theologians back in the day, I don't really know, this is a little too far for me, but there are theologians that took this so literally, they began to preach to the animals. <laughs> it's a little too much for me, but... They took that literally. Okay, if, if men and women will not hear the gospel, I'm gonna preach to all of creation then. But my Bible also says in Romans that if we don't cry out to God, and if we don't sing to him, the rocks will do it. The, the groaning of this world will worship and, and praise God if we won't do it. So the word we use to describe good news in the person of Jesus is the gospel. Did you know that? The mission, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus, not just so that we would be disciples. It's that his kingdom would transform all of creation, all of society, how you converse with your coworkers, how you treat one another, how you live in your own family unit. The kingdom should come not just there, but here. So we must live it. We must preach it. We must embody it. It's both, by the way. One end of the church at large preaches, you must be justified, you must be saved, you must know God and life and have life proof for your salvation. Okay, that's one end of the church at large. And I believe that 100%. And then there's another side of the church that says yes, but the other side of the church preaches, we are here to do the work of justice and bring reconciliation to the people. And love our black brothers and our white brothers and our white and our brown brothers and all the in-between brothers and sisters, right? All every color of the sphere. 
And Jesus is like, yes to that and yes to that. It's both. It's both. Am I hitting a nerve here? I hope I'm not. Well, if I am, I'm just trying to tell you what the gospel says. So we must live it. We must embody it. We must preach it. It must be both. We need to reach people far from God, disciple them, teach them to obey all the commands of Jesus, and we need to plant more churches. Do you know that's like a a dream of mine? We should be planting way more churches already. Like I'm already like, man, someone told me we need to do a a second service. That would be awesome. Maybe you should let me know if you want to do that. We've been thinking like 9 a.m., for those that want to like enjoy morning with your little ones and stuff, maybe we should do that. But once we get to a point, I don't want to just keep adding more services to our church. It's not, that's not what we're here for. We're here to go into the world and make disciples. So it can't just be all about us. Does that make sense? When it's all about us, we have fallen into the consumeristic, capitalistic, Western church of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but my Jesus is not Jesus of America. He's Jesus of Nazareth. Does that make sense? I mean, maybe I should go there for a moment, okay? My, My success is not dictated on the way the American church says success is is built. You're successful, Sam. Wow, you guys planted a church, and now you have like, I don't know, one something. That's amazing, and you're only a couple years old, and I'm like, where is the success in that? That's so Americanized. What about how many people have fallen into the beauty and wonder of Jesus? How many families are restored? How many men have reconciled to their wives? How many people have turned from their sin and walked into the light of Jesus? How many of us are actually living this thing out and not just playing church on Sunday? I don't want that type of church, by the way. I just don't want that. Because I I have to answer to God, and that's, I want to say, Jesus, I did what you said to do. And I wasn't so caught up. Can I, can I be honest? I think we all are like this because we live in America. We are so concerned about the success that we get and then what other people think about that success. Right? Oh, you don't have a house yet? I don't. I'll be honest. I'm almost 30. You don't have a house yet, Sam? Oh, you're kind of a failure. But that's what my mind tells me. Is that the voice of God? Who cares if I don't have a house yet? I mean, I need to work for it, Right? Oh, man, your son's got a full ride, right? Playing water polo or baseball or soccer. Wow, what a success you are. Really? Is that how we categorize success? What about, man, your son loves Jesus. He loves him so much, man. I could see it. It's written all over him. You've done a good job because the job of a mother and a father is to raise up a son and a daughter that knows freedom. So that, why? I'm only getting that from the Bible. We are free, autonomous beings. That's what I'm grateful for here in America. We get to live autonomously. You get to do whatever you want. Paul says not all things are beneficial, right? Not all things are permissible, but go, he's sorry. He says all things are beneficial, but not all things are permissible. So go ahead and do those things, but there's some stuff that might come from that. So you have freedom. I'm grateful for my mom and dad. They taught me that, by the way. 
I was like 16 years old and my mom was letting me go out and do what I wanted. And, and then I got in trouble a couple times and my dad was like, if you keep going out late like that, we're going to have to talk about it. But I learned autonomous behavior that I'm my own human being when I was like a little boy. I had to figure that out. So that's why I had friends in high school when they turned 18. Parents, we got to be really careful with this. When you're 18, you could do that. When you're 18, you could go. When you're 18, you could do that. And then I had friends, they turned 18. See you later, man. I'm like, bro, what happened? Well, I'm 18. My mom and dad said I could do what I want. Oh, okay. So you didn't have any freedom in your life, and they didn't teach you freedom. So now that you have freedom, you have no responsibility. Right? I'm sorry, I'm totally like going on a tangent, but like that, that's what looking like make that's what making disciples looks like. It's freedom. If you if this was a cage, which it is, okay, so for the drummer, you're in a cage, right? <laughs> if that's a cage and it is, and you you lock the door, Jesus is looking at you from the outside and saying, Man, that's your cage. I've given you the keys. Why are you living in the cage? Why are you built up acting like you don't have any freedom? But it's like, I want freedom. I don't need Jesus. I don't need him telling me what to do. I don't need to obey. I don't need to love. I, don't, I, need to, I can do whatever I want with my money. You're going to put me in a cage if you tell me to do that. And Jesus is like, okay, good luck. You'll put yourself in your own cage then, man. So I want true freedom, and he gives that to all of us. We are no longer captives. We are no longer in bondage to our sin and slavery to our master, which was for some of us Satan. No longer are we that. We're free beings, autonomous beings that get to make choices. Are we good here? You guys all right? Sorry, I just, maybe I'm coming. I, I don't know. Maybe there's something in my coffee. Kelly's like too much. Okay. Let's, let's go on. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, watch this, the ministry of reconciliation. Write that down a little bit, a lot on that in a moment. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He doesn't do that to you. And he, com he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is? You represent a country, you go in full authority to say on behalf of the country so you are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. You get to walk in that authority everywhere you go. Therefore, we're ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behavior, be reconciled to God. Three different times Paul's saying this. Reconcile, reconcile, reconcile. Before we go out into the world, which we should, by the way, you're in it every day. But before your mind shifts to I need to be a person on mission, you need first to be reconciled not only to God, but to each other, those closest to your life. And this terrifies me in the church. It's scary to me, man. Like we just think we can cut people off, you know, and like put a wall up between you and your mom or put a wall up between you and your cousin or you and your sister. He says, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you are no longer in the ministry of the world. 
you're in the ministry of reconciliation. Every one of you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you signed up for this, right? If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you are called by God to be a person of reconciliation. And by the way, because we do this enough to understand this, you might have someone in your life that you are not reconciled with, right? Where it's like, man, I don't want anything to do with you. I, I don't even want to see you anymore. You've spoken these things over my family. You've hurt me. I don't want anything to do with you, right? The, the world says 100%, forget those people, right? So there needs to be boundaries, but what happens is when we do that, we no longer participate in reconciliation. When we do and we ask God to f- help us forgive them, God begins to shift our heart. We become reconciled. But you know what his ultimate goal is in your life for these people? Restoration. Honestly, though, sometimes that's not possible because that's up to the other person, too. And you can't control them. You can pray for them. You can ask God to shift their mind and convict them. But we must first, if we're on mission, We must learn how to be reconciled to God, then reconciled to those around us, forgive those around us, and then try the best we can to to bring restoration to those around us. That's the ministry of Jesus. That's it. And that's hard and that's big. But if we want to be on mission, we need to learn how to do that well. Worship team, you guys can come on up. I have so much more, and I want to honor your time. But I want to hit on this. When we say mission, when we say for the one, I wanted to have this up on the screen, but if, if you have notes, I want, to, I want you to write this down or think about it. This is our aim biblically. When I say biblically, all of this has come from the scriptures. When we say we are for the one, we are on mission, oh, we got it up. Who did that? <laughs> Who, Aiden, was that you, bro? Come on, give it up for Aiden, let's go. <laughs> I, went up there, I went up there and I was like, hey man, did you see? He has all my notes right there. And I'm like, hey, did you see this? He's like, oh, I didn't put it up. I was like, okay, it's all right. So uh, mission, this is the work of Jesus, okay? This is what it looks like to be for the one. Biblically, this is where we're at as far as our orthodox. It is what the Bible says, okay? Our mission for the one is to be on mission, okay? That's number one. And then we need to learn how to be witnesses, We need to participate in the gospel. We need to be people of evangelism. We need to be people of justice and mercy and peace. We need to be making disciples. If you are for the one, you should be participating in this. We need to be ambassadors of Christ. Be reconciled to one another. Walk and live in forgiveness. Learn how to be healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can be healed by forgiving others. Did you know that? Forgive others and you'll be healed. You'll be set free. Wholeness, restoration, unity in all things. Renewal of, the, of all things and heaven on earth. This is what it means to be on mission, by the way. Not only for society, but for you and your family and your home, we need to participate in these things and fight for this stuff. This is the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven on earth. Does that make sense? So this is our commission as we close. These are the things that we're gonna be commissioned to. I wanna read this from the theologian N.T. Wright. He says, the mission of the church, what time is, can we get the time up there? I have no idea what time it is. So if I've gone over, I apologize. What's that? 
12, 20. The mission of the church then is to be the spirit-filled agency through which genuine advanced signs of new creation are brought to birth. Okay, let me say that again because it, it's, it's actually pretty dense. The mission of the church is to be the spirit-filled agency through which genuine advance signs of new creation are brought to birth. Constant new creation, constant renewal. What God accomplished in Jesus' resurrection is to be actualized again and again in acts of justice and mercy in the sacramental life which mysteriously takes up water bread and wine into God's purpose in the marriage of man and woman, which from the Genesis to Revelation acts as a potent symbol of the fruitful joining of heaven and earth and the creation and celebration of art, music, literature, and a thousand other vehicles of beauty. I just want to end with this. During COVID, I used to run a lot, like a lot, because I didn't have anything else to do. And when you begin to run, I do not like running, by the way. But when you begin to run, after a while, you start getting tired. Oh, God, help me, right? You're at like mile two if you want to run four miles. And there was a certain way that I would run at our house. And I would go in the back, like, alleyway and run along, like, the, the I don't know what that's called, the sewage way, like, in Eastvale, that big thing I don't know what it's called anyway I'm running and then I get all the way to the end and then there's cows there and I'm like all right cows I'm almost home because then I catch it and then I turn back around and now I know I'm on like mile two getting close to mile three and as soon as I would see this particular like house I knew I was close to home I'm like like dying right <laughs> dying when you're like, I, I'm, I'm a very competitive person, so I'm like, I got to beat my time from last time, and I'm running as hard as I possibly can, and I'm like, oh my God, there's the house, thank God, and it's like, it's a quick inspiration of hope, right? If any of you guys know what I'm talking about when you run, and like immediately you, you're caught by this hope. We do this all the time. When I used to swim, and we do like 2100s on a morning, it's like, okay, I'm on like 17. I, I got a couple more. Let's just keep going. And there's this hope. There's, we create signposts in our life that bring us hope. It says you're almost there. Keep going. This just a little further. You see, the signpost brings relief to our anxious soul, and it brings wholeness, a sense of direction in our life. The church, by the way, is a signpost for the world we live in. You are the church. We are the signpost to a world that is desperate and anxious and depressed and broken. We are the signpost that says this direction here. Come, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Let me show you the signpost. There's hope around the corner. You, my friends, are the church, and we are called to be signposts, to be on mission for the one, for the people of the world we live in, and it comes back to because we love Jesus. So I want that for all of us. I want that for you in your life. I want that for me and my family. I want Lenny and Zoe to grow up understanding, man, we get to do this. We get to point people to the signpost of hope for their soul. That right there is life and hope and peace in Jesus. And this world we step into, this world, this kingdom come, is forever a world of peace, of kingdom, 
His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven brings peace. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you as you stand. Would you stand with me? Jesus, I pray, God, over every person, myself included. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would remind us that we are called to be ambassadors of Christ, that we are called to be on mission, for mission. God, I understand for for many of us, God, this could be very daunting. So may we start first at our own home. I pray even right now, Jesus, that you would begin to speak and convict those in the room that first need to get their house in order that first need to bring the kingdom of heaven into their home. Maybe there are people here that have pushed out the kingdom of heaven from their home. Would we learn, God, to accept your goodness and your call and obey your commands and step into your goodness so that we, once we do that, can freely give that to others, God, because it's been a part of who we are. Jesus, I pray over every man and woman in this room that's dealing with depression. We speak against those in the name of Jesus. I pray over every person that struggles with anxiety that is not from God. I pray, God, that you would bring peace and healing and restoration. I pray, God, that we would learn to be so courageous that we would be reconciled to those that we have brought brokenness to. Teach us how to be in the ministry of reconciliation in this church, God. So Father, would you bring your kingdom down here to earth to us in our everyday lives? In your name we pray, amen and amen.